All right, Treble, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin. We begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's daf. To thank our Tamato sponsors for the month of Tevi, Siol and Sarah Kelman, for dedicating all the Sherman Joshua's this month in honor of the birth of their daughter, Oriya Tahel, and the hope then of the merit. Then, Amir Sashim, all of the couples who are davening for this bracha will have their tfilos answered bakarov to thank Stephen Terizin for sponsoring all of the Sherman Joshos this month in honor of their grandchildren Adin Tzvi and Aftali Moshe to thank Shirley Elbaum and family for dedicating all of the Sherman Joshos this month in memory of Jerry Elbaum Yaakov couple Ben Rabavram Menachem we hope then in the merit of our Talmud Torah the Nesham will have an aliyah and the family a Nechama and also with that let us begin we have an incredible and beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Yud Dalid, 14. We are going to pick up on Yud Gimel Amid Beis. And as I put out in the WhatsApp last night, we are picking up two, four, six, eight, ten. It's actually 12 lines up from the bottom, not 10. My apologies. Yeshno Am Echod. So remember, again, continuing on in the Megillah. Haman says to Achashverosh, there is this one nation. Amar Rabba. Rabba says something incredible. Yeah. Sorry. Good. So Rabbi said as follows: Amar Rabbi, Amar Rabbi, Leka di Yada Lishna Bishakahaman. There is no one who knows how to speak Lashon Hara like Haman. Amar Le, Tanichlinu. So the Gemara now records the conversation between Haman and Achashverosh. Someone says to Achashverosh, "Let's just destroy the people. Let's destroy them." Amar Le, Mistafina Melakov. So interesting. Achashverosh says, "I'm afraid of their God." Now, by the way, this statement makes so much more sense in light of the Gemara we saw last week. That remember again, Achashverosh saw what happened. What happened to Belshazzar? So remember again, Achashverosh says, "I'm not messing with the Jews. I'm afraid of their God." I don't want to happen to me. What happened to Belshazzar? Amrale, listen to what Haman says. Yashno. Now remember again, Haman says Yashno. Yashno am echad. So the Gemara darshins that Yashno also is from lashon of Yashnu. They became Yashin, Yashnu min ha-mitzvos, which literally means they become derelict in their performance of mitzvos. That Haman says to Achashverosh, Haman says to Achashverosh, the power of the Jew is related to his adherence and allegiance to the mitzvos. I've seen these Jews. They become derelict in their spiritual responsibilities, and therefore, they are vulnerable. Amrlehu, Amrleh, Isbuhu Rabbanon. Achashverosh is fine, but there's the rabbis. Right? There's the rabbinic leadership. They have, even if they're derelict, the leadership is not. So, so Hamas says, don't worry about it. You're putting too much into this. They're only one nation. Maybe you're afraid that literally again, Karch means like a bald spot. Maybe you're afraid I'm going to make a bald spot in your kingdom. I'm going to wipe out that entire nation. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be a bald spot in your kingdom. They're scattered. They're scattered. They don't all live in one place. So if you annihilate them, that is not going to make a bald spot in your kingdom. Maybe you'll say, well, the Jews contribute so much. And if we annihilate them, if we annihilate them, we're going to lose out on the benefit. The Jews are mefurad. What does mefurad mean? They're like a mule. Like a mule. A mule doesn't have offspring. So to the Jews, don't really produce anything. Maybe you'll say there's a whole Medina of the Jewish people. 
They're spread out amongst all of your lands. Vedasehem shonos mikal am. And furthermore, again, king, this is the way the Jews act is so different than anyone else. They don't eat our food. They don't marry our women. And furthermore, again, they don't let us marry their daughters. Listen to this. And furthermore, they never keep the laws of the kings. How so? When you ask the Jews, they're always telling you, Shabbos Hayom, Pesach Hayom. You know what Haman was telling Achashverosh? These Jews, they always have another reason to take off from work, right? It's always Shabbos, it's always a Yom Tiv, so they're not even so productive. And therefore, ultimately, it's not worth the king's while to leave them in existence. Because the Jews eat, they drink, and they disparage the kingdom. How so? You know, King, if a fly falls into the cup of wine of a Jew, he'll take out the fly and drink the wine. But Achashosh just wants you to know, if you touch their wine, if you touch their wine, they'll spill out the wine on the ground, and they won't even drink it. Fly falls in, they'll take it out drinking. You, the king, touch it, they won't drink it. If it pleases the king, so I'll say, before we even go on, I'll just point out something amazing. You see from this Gemara, the power of Lashon Hara. Haman did not say one false thing. Right? If you notice, by the way, the only piece that's maybe debatable is when he said the Jews don't produce anything. I don't know, maybe historically the Jews weren't contributing all that much to the Persian, Persian Median Empire. I don't know. But if you notice, well, so here's the power of Lashon Hara. Haman didn't say one false thing. It's true. Every single one of these things that he said is absolutely true. We have even the, even the holiday Shabbos part. We've got a lot of holidays. Right? You got to throw Chalamai there into the mix. Forget about it. Right? So, so the, the, everything he said is true. But you see from here that the true destructive nature of Lashon Hara is not about what you say, but it's how you say it. And it's true, by the way, it's true, it's true in, in whatever is true in the negative, is true in the positive also. They will say sometimes, sometimes, the greatest thing you can do for another person is compliment them. But the shayla is how you compliment them, right? How you compliment them. And this is very important in the realm of Shalom Bayes. A person can say to his wife, oh, you look nice. You look nice. Or a person can say to his wife, wow, you look beautiful. You look stunning. Now, you'll say, oh, come on, what's the difference? Okay, I don't even have to go into this one, right? right? The, the difference is so clear. Now, the message might be the same in both. You look very nice. But how you say it, how you say it is just as important as what you say, both in the realm of Lashon Hara as well as in the realm of Lashon Tov. Such an incredible and profound Musar. So the Gemara says as follows. So now Haman, Haman sweetens the deal. He says, if the king is willing to go ahead and annihilate the Jewish people, 10,000 silver pieces. HaKadosh Baruch knew that Haman was going to bribe the king with Shalom in order to annihilate the Jewish people. Therefore, the Fichach, Hikdim Shiklehen Lishkalov. 
Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made our Shkalim precede his Shkalim. Vahainu, disnan be'echad ba'adar mashmin ala Shkalim ve'ala kilayim. So I will say this goes back to yesterday's daf. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always makdim refua l'machala. The Rebbe always brings about the cure before he brings about the disease. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw, HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Haman was going to sweeten the pot, sweeten the deal with 10,000 silver shkalim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu therefore does what? He advances our mitzvah of machtsis ha-shekel. And by the way, when is the machtsis ha-shekel collected? The first of Adar. The first of Adar. Rebbe says, as I mentioned in yesterday's daf, and I think it bears repetition, this idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is matim refua l'machala, that he advances the cure before the disease is so important. We know this idea. We've all heard it before. But I, will say, I just want to tell you that I think in moments when we face crisis, I'm talking about personal crisis right now, which we all do, it is so important to constantly and consistently remember that as the crisis unfolds, the cure and the remedy, it's already there. It's already there. The only shayla is, the only question is, when am I going to see it? Right? When, when is it going to reveal itself? But sometimes we think that like the way the world works is, I'm in crisis, and now HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, where is my salvation going to come from? Where is the refuah going to come from? We have to remember, the refuah is here. The refuah is always here. The refuah doesn't mean everything works out the way you want it to work out. But the refuah is already present. I don't dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create the Rafua. I dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu to reveal the Rafua. And understand if I take that mindset into moments of crisis in life, how much chizik it gives me. The Rafua is already here. It's already here. I just need it ultimately to become revealed. Incredible. So goes, So we'll say, look at this incredible reversal. The king says to Haman, HaKesef Nosunach, you could keep the money. Clearly not Jewish. Keep the money. And do with the people what you want. Shabbosai is so profound. Because here, remember, we got the whole dialogue. Achashverosh went from, I'm really scared of them, to go for it. And by the way, what does he say to Haman? He gives over the people, tell him, he says to Haman, you don't even have to tell me the plan. Have to tell me the plan. The people are yours to do with as you please. And you don't even have to go ahead and what? Pay me the money. Incre- incredible reversal. There's a lot. Of, it's not for now. When we get closer to Paran Miratz Hashem. But there, there's so much profundity in terms of like the psychological analysis of Ahasuerosh and how he makes his decisions. How you go from on one hand being afraid and being resistant to literally giving over an entire segment of your population over into the hands of one of your ministers. That, that you just, you know, don't even tell me what you're doing. Just do it. I'm Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba says, Rabbi Abba is very profound. Top of you, Dalit. So we'll say, so the Shail is like, how do you understand this, right? How do you understand, Achashosh is a king, right? As a king, he has responsibility for his constituents. So how do you understand him handing over the fate of an entire segment of his population over to Haman? So we'll say, this is very profound. You can compare it to two people. One guy, we'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain had a mound of dirt in his, in his field. Ula echad, Shimon, hayulo choritz. Shimon has a big ditch. So what happens? Baal choritz, omer mihi tenli telza bedamim. So Shimon, who has the ditch, says, oh, 
I am looking, I wish I could find someone with extra dirt. I would gladly pay the dirt to fill my ditch. Balatel Omer, so Reuven who owns the mound of earth, he says, Mi yitain li charitz zebedamim. Right? Reuven says, ah, if only I could find someone to go ahead and buy this extra dirt off me. What happened? So one day Reuven and Shimon get together. So Shimon, who has the dish, says to Reuven, who has the dirt, Reuven, can I buy your dirt? So Amrlo, to which Reuven says, Pay me for it, please. Just pick it up and it's yours. Neither Haman nor Achashverosh liked the Jews. Maybe Haman despised them more than Achashverosh, but Achashverosh despised them nevertheless. And the truth is, Achashverosh has the dirt, right? He's got the Jews, right? He's, he's got the mound of earth. Haman has the ditch. And the truth is, they find a very, a very convenient, complementary, synergistic partnership, both of them to take care of their problem. What Chazal trying to tell us also is, don't think that Achashverosh was a lover of the Jews and Haman just totally turned him. Achashverosh didn't like the Jews as much as Haman didn't like the Jews. Because Achashverosh wasn't ready to actively do anything about it. When Haman is ready to do something about it, Achashverosh says, great. So the king took off his ring. Right? Remember again, by taking off his ring, he gave it to Haman, vesting Haman with the power to go ahead and do what he wants to the Jews. Amrabi Abba Bar Kahana, we'll say it's a profound Gemara. Kedola Hasaras Tabas Yosem Arba Mushmono Nevi'im V'Sheven Nevi'os. That act of the Achashverosh is taking off the ring and giving the power to Haman, that had a greater impact on the Jewish people than 48 prophets, Arba Mushmono, 48 prophets, V'Sheven Nevi'os, seven prophetesses, that all prophesied for the Jewish people. Because every single one of these prophets tried to watch. All of these prophets prophesied for the Jewish people to try to get them to do tshuva. And ultimately what? They were unsuccessful. And amazing. Yet one removal of the king's ring sparked a tshuva movement. Isn't that incredible? But the truth is, it's another profound insight into human nature, which is, we don't make changes until we have to. Right? In other words, there are changes I know I need to make. I know I need to make them for a very, very, very long time. But at the end of the day, most times, some people, some people are self-starters enough and motivated enough to make the changes they need to make. But most of us, don't really make the changes we need to make until our back is up against the wall, until I have no choice but to make them. And that's what's happening over here. 48 prophets, 48 prophets, seven prophetesses, all of them trying to tell Kalal Yisrael, get better, do better, or it doesn't turn out well, and no one can get through to them. One removal of a ring, one removal of a ring sparks a true will say, isn't this the key to successful life? to try to make changes before I have to make them. Right? Again, it doesn't seem to work. Human nature is, I don't change until I mamish have to. But success, what well, really the hallmark of success is the ability to affect personalistic change, not because you have to, but because you want to. Incredible. Turn around, Bonner. Both say, let's talk about the prophets. Let's talk about the prophets. So we'll say the Gemara says there were 48 prophets 
and seven prophetesses who went ahead and prophesied to the Jewish people. So these prophets in general, they never added or detracted anything that was written in the Torah, right? The job of the prophet is not to be mechadish, with one exception, with one exception, chutz mimikra megillah. Megillah is the only thing that was added by the prophets. Added by the prophets. The boss of the marshal says, no, not true. There's something else that was added, which was what? Chanukah. Chanukah. So interestingly enough, remember, the marshal points out Chanukah, the story of Chanukah is after the close of prophecy. Right? There are no prophets then by Chanukah. So that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That was like Takanas Chazal. Purim, interestingly enough, we're going to see, we normally assume that Purim is also the first story of the post-prophetic era. But first of all, we already saw that Esther was written in Baruch HaKodesh, so there was some element of prophecy. Furthermore, we're going to see an opinion that says that Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi were alive at the time of the Purim story, which means that there were Nevi'im then as well. In any event, the Gemara says, 48 Nevi'im, 48, 48 Nevi'im, 7 Nevi'os, no one added on anything except for Mikra Megillah. So the Gemara says, my Darush, by the way, how, how did they know? So the Gemara asks an interesting question. How did the Nevi'im know that they were permitted to add on Megillah? How did they were added to, permitted to add on a Yom Tif? Right, and add on a Megillah? So listen to this, both a great story. Amr Rabbi Chiyabar Abin, Amr Rabbi Yoshua Ben Karcha, Umame Avdus Lecheros Aminan Shira, if from Avdus Lecheros from servitude to freedom, we sing Shira, so what is that a reference to? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The Shira in question of, or the disturbance is Az Yashir. We have, a, what's the paradigm? The paradigm is when we were when right when we went when we went from servitude to freedom, we sang as Yashir, right? By Kriyas Yamsov. All the more so when we're delivered from death. When we're delivered from death, you have to sing Shira. So it's interesting. The Gemara, the Gemara looks at the episode by Kriyas Yamsov as an escaping of servitude. So if escaping from servitude, you sing shira, then all the more so what? When I go ahead and I'm saved from certain death, like by the Megillah story, the Purim story, Haman wasn't interested in enslaving us. It was la hashmid, la harog, oli abed. Certainly you have to sing shira. Certainly you have to sing shira. So the Marcel, well, if that's the case, ihachi, halal, nami nema. Why not say halal? Well, so we saw this. Why don't we say halal on Purim? Lefi, Rosa is incredible. Lefi she'en omrim halal al neis shebachutz la'aretz. Because you don't say halal on miracles that occur on chutz la'aretz. Really? The Gemara says, Yitzias Mitzrayim, the neis shebachutz la'aretz heichi amrin an shira. One second. You just said the paradigm is Kriyas Yamsuf. Well, Kriyas Yamsuf didn't happen in Yerushalayim. Right? Kriyas Yamsuf happened outside of Eretz Yisrael. So what's going on over here? So we'll say, so therefore, and yet we still say Shira about that. This is beautiful. Kidisanya. Before Kalal entered into Eretz Yisrael, then ultimately, again, one was permitted to, shira, to say Shira in a miracle that occurred in any land. But ultimately, again, once we enter into Eretz Yisrael, then we only say Shira about miracles that occur in Eretz Yisrael. So we'll say fascinating halachic paradigm here. So again, before we enter into, enter into Eretz Yisrael, any time there's a national salvation, you could say Shira. Once we enter into Eretz Yisrael, only say Shira on salvation that occurred in Eretz Yisrael, not as Eretz Yisrael. So we'll say there's also a beautiful, a beautiful shach of Eretz Yisrael here. The truth is, once you come into Eretz Yisrael, it's very hard to sing Shira about anything that happens anywhere else. 
right? Once you see the land of Israel and once you see the beauty of Eretz Yisrael and the profundity of Eretz Yisrael, anything great that happens anywhere else is nice, but not nearly as great. So the Gemara says, Rav Nachman Amar, Rav Nachman, so that's answer number one. Remember, so we're trying to tackle the answer over here. Why don't we say Hallel on Purim? Answer number one, answer number one is because it occurred in Chutz Laaretz, okay? Answer number two, Rav Nachman Amar, Kriyasa Zuhelila. We do say Hallel, just Hallel on Purim comes in the form of what? The Megillah. The Megillah itself is Hallel. Rava Amar Rava says, I'll tell you a different reason why I don't say halal. Bishlama Hasam, Halalu Avde Hashem, Fulo Avde Paro, Sarbo Saval Hoko, Halalu Avde Hashem, Fulo Avde Achashirosh, Akati Avde Achashirosh. I will say first wide line, Yedala Madalif. Here's another idea I will say. When do you say halal? You say halal on an absolute salvation. When we could say that we are servants of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and not servants to a human ruler. So that works, let's say, by Mitzrayim, right? By Mitzrayim, after Kriyas Yamsuf, Egypt, Egypt was decimated. So we could say, Hallelujah, Avdi Hashem, praise, right? Give praise, servants of Hashem. On Purim, even after the story is over, we're still the servants of Achashverosh, right? We've spoken of this before, we're still the servants of Achashverosh. And therefore, although we were saved from death, right, in this moment, there was no telling what tomorrow would bring. So because of that, therefore, again, it's an incomplete, it's an incomplete salvation, and therefore no halal. So the Gemara says, Bain l'rava, bain l'rav nachmin, kasha. So we'll say, both according to Rava, and according to Rav Nachman, right? We'll say, so again, Rav, Rav Nachman said, Kriyasa zu alila. Rava said, Rava said, Halalu avde Hashem, v'lo avde paro. We still have a kasha. V'atanyo, mishinichnesu la'aretz, so remember again, what's the kasha? Why do you have to get into all of this? At the end of the day, we just said before, that once Klal Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael, then what? Then what? You don't say Shira outside of Eretz Yisrael. So again, we're still back to our original question, which is how are they able to institute a new Yom Tiv, Right when at the end of the day, once we enter into Eretz Yisrael, we don't say Shira, whether that's Halal Shira or that's Megillah Shira, on anything outside of Eretz Yisrael. So how are they able to institute a new Yom Tiv and the accompanying Megillah on a miracle that occurred outside of Eretz Yisrael? To which the Gemara says, "Kevan Shegalu Chazulach Sheiran Rishon." It's very interesting. Once we were exiled, things returned back to their original state. Right, they will say the original state being the original state being that you could say halal on any national salvation that occurs even outside of Eretz Yisrael. So the Purim story satisfies the criteria for Shira. What's the criteria for Shira? Where there is an existential threat against the Jewish people and Klal Yisrael survives, you say, you say Shira. Now again, what type of Shira? That's going to depend. Halal itself can only be said when we are not under the control of a Gentile despotic ruler. Purim, we're still under the control of a despotic, right, Gentile ruler. So therefore, we don't say halal per se, but we say the Megillah, and the Megillah acts in place of halal. But again, once the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed and we are exiled, anytime we have a situation of an existential threat to Klal Yisrael and we are saved, that is Grand Salabos. I'll just point out, this happens to be contemporarily um, very much part of the conversation regarding Halal and Yom Asma'ut, 
right? Is there, is, is, see, people often think about like, do you say hello? Do you not say hello? That's not the question. The question is, is there, is there an obligation to say hello or not say hello? When you think about it again, existential threat to Klal Yisrael. So was there in 1948 an existential threat to Klal Yisrael? So the answer seems to be yes. Although interestingly enough, this drills down into the interesting discussion about how do you define Klal Yisrael? Is Klal Yisrael all Jews? Or perhaps, or perhaps the definition of Klal Yisrael are the Jews who live in Eretz Yisrael. So I'm just pointing out, not our topic for today, maybe another legal holiday, uh, legal holiday series. It happens to be a fascinating, fascinating topic. But in any event, my point over here is you see it's centered in this discussion over here. You see this tension in the Gemara about what do you do with miracles that occur in Chutzlar. And I will say, by the way, an Eretz Yisrael, an Eretz Yisrael, also in the absence of a Beis HaMikdash, may also have certain elements of gullus associated with it as well. So again, a profound discussion, but you see over the Gemara saying, you're allowed to say, you're allowed to say Shira for the Purim miracle because it satisfies the criteria. The nation of Akhlal Yisrael was in existential danger and we were saved. I can't say regular halal because we were still subject to Achashverosh's whims. But I can't say the Megillah, and the Megillah takes the place of Halal. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Now we're going back. The Gemara is very intrigued that the Gemara said that there were 48 prophets. That's all? There are only 48 prophets? So the Gemara says, The Pasuk says, There was a man from Ramasayim Sofim. This is referring to Elkanah, the father of Shmuel. So the Torah says he was one of 200 prophets who prophesies for the Jewish people. 200 of us says a lot more than 48. Says the Gemara, you're right. Mihava Tovahavu, there were many prophets. Kedisanyo, Harbein Nevi'im, Amdu'alun Yisrael, Kifan Kiyotzim Yisrael. We've had many prophets throughout the ages. Abba saying, you know how many prophets there were? Twice as many as the number of Jews who left Egypt. Now Abba said, I put the number at 1.2 million prophets. That's a lot of prophets, right? So we'll say, so Bepashtos, that statement is hyperbolic. What it means to say is there are many, many, many prophets throughout the generations. I so why did the Bible say there were only 48 Nevi'im and seven Nevi'os? To which the Gemara says, very simple. Only prophecies that have present and future importance were recorded. Prophecies that do not have present or prophecies that do not have future importance were not recorded. So in other words, what the Gemara is saying is there were many prophets over the ages who prophesied regarding different things. But what we have recorded in Nach, in the Vim and Ksilvim, are prophecies that have future import as well. Going back to Dash in the past, like Elkanah, the father of Shmuel, came from the place, two peaks, two peaks that looked at each other. Okay, that was a geographic or topographical description of Amar. Adam haba mishnei bnei Adam sheomdim berumo shel olam. So listen to this. Elkanah was a man who ultimately again haba mibnei Adam who came from people who stood at the heights of the world. Who was Elkanah and ultimately Shmuel the son of Get ready for this. Uman ninu bnei Korach. Wow. Shmuel Hanavi was a descendant of the sons of Korach. The sons of the sons of Korach. Tichsev. Ubnei Korach lo meisu. The Bible says the pasuk says that the sons of Korach 
did not die. So what happened? The Gemara says they were swallowed up by the earth. Tana, Mishum Rabbeinu, Makom Nisparsalam, Begenava Amdu Alav. We'll say as the earth opened up, miraculously, a ledge, a ledge appeared. The sons of Korach did tshuva in the last minute. So as the earth swallowed up their father and all of his followers, a ledge appeared. They were able to stand on the ledge and they survived. They survived. So whereas everyone else ultimately perished, they survived as a result of their tshuva. And I will say, their tshuva was so sincere and so complete that they merited offspring, a descendant like Elkanah, and ultimately like Shmuel Hanabi. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I will say, so I'll just also point out, there's an interesting machlokes of, were Bnei Korach saved? Like, did they live? Or if you look at Lashon of the Hiving Mar, Nespatzlam Gehenam which sounds like they died, they died, but they did not go to the depths of Gehenna like the other members of Korach's party. Either way, either way, either way, the point is they had a descendant, they had a descendant like, they, had, they must have had children who did not die. So either they survived, had families, or they had children before this episode who were not included in this whole thing. But either way, the point of yours, Elkanah and Shmuel are descendants from Bnei Korach. Which I will say something absolutely, absolutely amazing. Aramot tells you first of all the power of tshuva. No matter how badly I mess up in life, tshuva can always help me course correct. No matter really how badly I mess up, and Matir both saying it doesn't really matter who you come from, right? Remember again in Shmuel's family, no one was really talking about Zayda Korach. I remember Zayda the Korach, right? What a great guy! No, 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 no. So I will say even if you come from Zayda the Korach, it doesn't really matter who you come from. It matters much more what you make of yourself. And credit, sometimes we think that our family is our Achilles heel. And for many people, family is their Achilles heel. But at the end of the day, you can't choose who you were born to, but you absolutely do choose who you become. So the Gemara goes right there. Seven of the Osmani, says, great. Who are the seven prophetesses? Is prophetesses the right English? Prophet sounds like too many S's in there. Right? Okay, good. Right? Who, who, who are the seven of the Os? Who are the seven of the Os? Here we go. Sarah, Miriam, Devorah, Hannah, Avigail, Chulda, and Esther. We're going to go through each of these people. Sarah Dechsev. I will say, how do we know that Sarah was a prophetess? Said Dechsev, Avi Malka va'avi Yiska. V'am Rabbi Yitzchak, Yiska, who's Yiska? Zu Sarah. Why was Sarah called Yiska? V'lamen ikrashma Yiska, she'sachsa b'rach ha'kodesh, because she saw, right? Yiska, sachsa, is a lashon of seeing. She saw the prophecy. Shnei Amar, when Aaron was resistant to send away Yishmael, and Sarah is adamant in sending away Yishmael, Kalash Baruch intervenes and he says to Avram, whatever Sarah, Sarah tells you, listen to her. Listen to her. So the, so the fact that Avram listened to, to listen to Sarah indicates us that she had prophecy as well. Others say Yiska ultimately is a reference to everybody would gaze at her beauty. Miriam, so we'll say that's Sarah. Sarah may know is a prophetess. Miriam, I'll say it is interesting to note, by the way, that Sarah Imenu was the only prophetess, only Nevia of the Imos. Right? It's, it's, it's really, it's quite fascinating. So the Gemara said, Miriam, how do you know that Miriam was a prophetess? Right? So the Pasuk says, this is by after Yamsuf. Right? Miriam led the women in Shira, and it calls her the sister of Aaron. Right? First of all, I want to point out, it calls her what? It calls her what? Miriam Hanavia. Right? So it's interesting that like, that's like a Talmudic mic drop, right? We're done, right? We're done. 
Right? We, we proved it. It's interesting that the Gemara doesn't stop, which is really fascinating, right? It calls her an Aviyah. So, like, what more do you have to do? So, the Gemara, so here is the problem. It calls her an Aviyah. The problem is, I don't see that anywhere in the text. In other words, you're calling her a prophetess. From where do I see that she was a prophetess? So, watch this. So, it calls her the sister of Aaron. So, the Gemara said, Achas Moshe. Wasn't she also the sister of Moshe? Amrav Nachman, listen to this. Amrav, Shaisa Misnava Kishi Achos Aaron. She prophesied when she was the sister of Aaron, which means she prophesied before the birth of Moshe. And she said as follows, She prophesied, my mother, Yocheved, is going to give birth to a son who is going to be the savior of the Jewish people. Isn't this incredible? Just yesterday's parasha. We managed just learn this, right? My mother, both a seven and a half year cycle, and the Sunday after Parsha Shemos. Incredible. So she prophesies, my mother is going to give birth to a son who is going to be the who is going to save the Jewish people. But when Moshe was born, the entire house was filled with light. Amram, Miriam's father, got up and kissed her on the head. My daughter, your prophecy has come true. But once they had to put Moshe, baby Moshe, into the Nile, so Amram gave her a patch, gave her a patch in, in, in anger. He said, Where's your prophecy now? Where's your prophecy now? You know, it's an interesting thing. You look at the Gemara, what a strange thing. Right? It's, so I don't understand. It's Miriam's fault. It's Miriam's fault that Moshe has said across. And I will say, but you see something amazing. There's sometimes when we're frustrated about things in life, we express that frustration in so many negative ways. In other words, why are you getting angry at the little girl? Right? What, 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 did, what, did she, what did she do? Right? She just, she had a prophecy. She shared the prophecy. Now, okay, Nebuch, Nebuch, Rachman al you have to set the baby afloat on the Nile. What does it have to do with her? Such an incredible Yisara. So many times in life we get frustrated about things and we express it in all the wrong ways. And sometimes we take it out on people who have nothing to do with our frustrations and how we have to be so careful. All of us get frustrated. But what, what makes a mensch a mensch is how to express and how to deal with frustration in an appropriate way. So the Gemara goes, what happened? That the Gemara says, why, why did Miriam follow along the basket, right? Why did she trail along the basket? Because she herself was curious to see what was going to happen with the prophecy? So I will say, so that's Miriam. So I've established, Sarah, I've established Miriam. Devorah. So remember again, Devorah is a shofetess. She was a judge and also a prophetess. So the Gemara says, Devorah So I will say, interesting, interesting enough, again, it calls her a Neviah. Calls her a Neviah, but also calls her the wife of Lapidos. My Eshes Lapidos. What does it mean that she's the wife of Lapidos? So beautiful. Shaisa Osep Silos Lamikdash. She would make wicks for the Mikdash. Now, again, when they say Mikdash, they don't mean Mikdash. What do they mean in this context? The Mishkan, right? Because there is no base on Mikdash in terms of the word, the Mishkan. So I said, she would make wicks for the Mishkan. So I said, I just want to point out something absolutely beautiful over here. Isn't it that Devorah, Devorah is the most powerful woman, right? She is, she is the Shofetas, she is the Neviah, and she's making wicks. What does that tell you? 
The Rebbe said, when it comes to serving your community, a person should never look at any job as being beneath them. And even if you quote-unquote important, even if you're chashiv, if you have a chance to roll up your sleeves and to do something of incredible significance, take the opportunity. Take the opportunity. Devorah is important, but she still makes stoics. It's incredible. V'hiyo sheves, tachas tomer. She sat underneath the tomer. When she adjudicated cases or people came to meet with her, so ultimately, again, she sat in an open area in order to avoid any issues of yichud, right? A Jewish man and Jewish woman are not, I'm assuming they're not husband and wife or father and daughter or brother and sister, are not permitted to be secluded with one another. So Devorah as the Shofetis and as the Neviah ultimately had to interact with men. She was always careful to do so in a public setting so as to avoid any issues of Yichud. Incredible. Dover Acher, Mat Tamarzu, just like the date palm, Einlo Elalev Echad, only has one heart. In other words, we'll say, Rashi points, what does it mean has one heart? Apparently, a date palm, the sap only runs through the trunk, doesn't go into the branches. As opposed to other trees that have sap in the trunk, goes into the branches, the date palm retains its sap in the trunk. So the Gemara calls that having one heart. Just like the date palm has only one heart, so too again, also had only one heart. Right, one heart towards Hakadosh Baruch Hu. They were united. In other words, there was such a time of Aliyah under the time of Devora. So we'll say that's Devora. Chana. I don't know that Chana was a prophetess. Dechseva tispalo Chana vatomer. Chana said, "She davin alots libi b'Hashem, Rama karni b'Hashem." We'll say this is such a beautiful. This is Tfilas Chana. Alots libi b'Hashem. My 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 heart rejoices to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rama karni. My Karen. My horn. Is exalted. So says the Gemara, what does this mean? Why Rama Karni Velo Rama Pachi? What do you mean my horn is exalted and not Pach? Pach is a jug. Why corn? Listen to this. So the Gemara says, Davru Shlomo Shnimshechu Bikaren Nimshecha Machusan. David and Shlomo, who were anointed from a horn of anointing oil, their monarchy endured. Shaul Viyehu Shnimshechu Bipach. But Shal and Yehu, who were, who were anointed with oil from a jug, not from the horn, lo nimshechu machusam. Their monarchy did not endure. So what's what the Gemara understands over here is that when Chana says, Rama Karni, she was making a reference to the fact that she would have a son. Right? She already had a son. Right? Her son ultimately would be the one who would anoint kings. And, Sh- right? and Shal, remember again, anointed two kings. I'm sorry, Shmuel anointed two kings. He anointed Shaul and he anointed David. The difference was David was anointed from a horn, right? And Shaul was anointed ultimately again from a pach, from a judge. There was another difference also that, that, that David was anointed from Shemana Mishcha anointing oil. Shaul was anointed with balsam oil, not anointing oil. Just an aside. In Kadosh Kashem, Kain Biltecha. So I'll say there is no one as great as Akadosh Baruch Hu. Kain Biltecha. Amrav Yehuda Barmanashia. Atikri Biltecha. Ela Lavlo Secha. Ultimately, don't read it as biltacha, but rather lav lo secha. Lav lo secha means outliving. How so? Ultimately, again, a Kaddish Baruch Hu is not like a human creator. How so? We'll say the way it works by human beings is whatever you create usually outlives you on a simple level. A person is bzocha to create children, right? We want 
I want my children to outlive me. However, outlives his creations. But as I look at this next beautiful Gemara, this is all Tfilas Chana. Chana said, there is no Tzor. Now Tzor literally translates as, as what? As rock. Right? There is no rock like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Well, listen how beautiful this is. Ein Tzayar Ke'elokeinu. What Chana was really saying was, there is a Tzayar. What's a Tzayar? An artist. There is no artist like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How so? Adam Tzar Tzura Gabi Akosa. Person makes a drawing on a wall. Ve'eno Unishama. So let's say, you know, you make a drawing, you can't breathe life into that drawing. And what happens? Who makes a form inside of a form, a reference to pregnancy. Reference to pregnancy. Who fashions one human being inside of another human being. And he's able to go ahead and fashion within that human, inside of a human, right? A neshama, a heart, intestines, organs. There is no artist like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'll tell you a very funny story. When I had this chutz to be in Eretz Yisrael just a little while ago, so I was, uh, I, was, I was picking up food with my kids. So we went to a shawarma place. So I, I am an, like, I'm an appreciator of fine shawarma, right? But, uh, but what I appreciate more than anything is the skill that goes into making it. Right, Your boss, you ever see this? You ever watch it? It's, it's really, it's, right? These guys are very skilled. They put a ton of stuff in there. And then you think to yourself, there's no way they're getting that lafa closed, right? There's no possible way. And somehow, again, it's like a whole thing. They wrap, they this, they get it here. And perfect, perfect. Nothing's leaking. Yeah, mamish. So I said to the guys, I, I said, I told the guy, I said, you are literally an artist. And he said, Zeta'ut. Ein tsayar ke'elokeinu. I said, I'm not even as holy as the shawarma guy in Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> not even as holy as the shawarma guy in Eretz Yisrael. I was like, but it is. The truth is, it's just something that I want to tell you, to me, you know, <laughs> people often, when they go to Eretz Yisrael, they say, oh, we're going to go see the Gidolim. I say, great. The beauty of Eretz is you can see Gidolim anywhere and everywhere. Right? You don't have to travel to any faraway city or go through a whole host of Gaboyim to go ahead and get to Gidolim. The beauty of Eretz Yisrael is that there's a godless, there's a godless, there's a spiritual beauty, even in the most simple of people. The Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, Avigail, so that's Chana, working our way through the list. Right? Avigail. So remember again, just to give you context, because maybe Avigail is not as familiar as her personality. Avigail is the wife of Naval. Remember again, David Amalek is on the run from his father-in-law, from Shaul. Right? Even though David has been coronated as king, he's not assuming the monarchy. Shaul is trying to kill David. So David is on the run with a small group of, uh, you know, David Amalek, the people who were attracted to David Amalek weren't exactly the highest, uh, highest, um, they were challenged, we'll call it that. So they were challenged. So what happens? So they come to Novel, they come to Novel, and David requests food from Novel. And Novel says no, but he doesn't just say no, he says no in a very disparaging way. Very disparaging way. So what happens? David leaves, David leaves, and David is, David is going to kill Novel. He made up his mind that he's going to kill Novel. Now remember, he had every right to kill Novel, because Novel was Mori Bamalchus. Right, ultimately, again, he disparaged the king because David was the anointed king. So what happened? So the Pasuk says that Avigail came to, Avigail came to, 
to um, David. And when it says, V'yorevis b'seser ahar, b'seser ahar, what does it mean? She comes on the hidden part of the mountain. Minahar mi ba'ilei, amarava barshmo al iske dam haba minastorim. Not lodam v'heresel. It's a very strange gemara. Avigail comes riding after David, and she comes David, and she asks him, Nida Shaila. She asks him, Nida Shaila. Tav noch zatam t'chacham. So she asks him, Shaila, Hilchos Nida. Amar Allah, v'chimarin dam ba'layla. So we'll say, David Amal says, you know, we don't paskin Nida Shailas at night. Very important, right? And by the way, that's how local I see it today. Unless, like, it's a lel tevila, we don't paskin Nida Shailas at night. So David says, I'll look at the, I'll look, I'll look at the Shaila in the morning. So listen to this. Avigah was a very smart woman. She said, My dear king, you're right. If you can't paskin Nida Shailas at night, you also, you know what else you don't paskin at night? Capital cases. We don't pass in capital cases at night either. I know that you want to kill Naval. We don't pass in that at night. Amrullah, David Amalak says, Yeah, Amadeis, Mori Bamalchusu, Lamadina. Here's the difference. Both say, when you rebel against the king, Mori Bamalchus, there is summary execution. There's no, there's no judge and jury, right? There's no adjudication process. The moment that you are Morid Bamalchus is the moment that you unfortunately again are executed. So David says, there is no legal proceedings over here. So she says to David, she says to David, So listen to this. She says to David, David, uh, you're not king yet. You're not king yet. I, I, know, I, know you're, I know you're anointed. I know you're anointed. But she says it in such an interesting way. She says, you know, your stamp, right? Your monarchical identity has not yet become known. So are you really permitted to fully conduct yourself as king if that identity is not known? Amr Allah, so David Amal says to her, you know what? Baruch ta'amech ubaruchah at. Asher kilisani ha'yom hazeh mevo b'damim. So what's it? It's incredible. So David says to her, literally again, blessed is your reasoning and blessed are you that you have prevented me this day mebo b'damim, to coming into blood. Coming into blood. Now, both say, Damim is what? Plural. Bloods. So the Gemara says, Damim tarti mashma. What happened? It sounds like Avigail saved David from two transgressions. So what are the two transgressions? So the transgression number one is that he would have killed Nava. What's number two? Both say, this is incredible. Al-Malamid, Shegil Se'ez Shoka, V'halach La'orich Gimel Parsos. So what happened? Apparently, Avigail's leg became uncovered. And David HaMelech very much desired her. Amrullah Hashmili. So, so David HaMelech, David HaMelech wanted to be with her and she said, no, don't let this be a stumbling block to you. This shouldn't be a stumbling block, which indicates that David HaMelech was going to encounter another stumbling block. What was the other stumbling block? Ultimately, there was another stumbling block over which David stumbled, which was the episode with Bathsheba. So the Gemara says, I'll just point out over here, but you know, you'll see this, you see this of David HaMelech. David HaMelech, right at this point in time, Abigail was a married woman. So what's happening? You have to understand something. David HaMelech, David HaMelech had one of the deepest reservoirs of personalistic passion. That's what made him great. And the greatness of David HaMelech was the ability to channel that passion. Right, towards waging the battles of Klav Yisrael, composing the music of Tehillim. But again, that passion is a raging fire. It's a raging fire. So Abigail says, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't let this be a stumbling block to you. And he listens to her. 
And she said to him, she said to him something amazing. She said to him, may my master's bond of life ultimately again be bound up in the everlasting bond of life. When she took leave of David, she said to him, This is incredible. It's interesting how she, how she parted ways. Hashem should do good for you, my master, and you shall remember your maidservant. Am Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, Hainu da'ami inshi, isisa bahadi shusa pilcha. Some Rav said this is an expression, as an expression, that sometimes again, when a, when a woman spins fiber to make yarn. Okay, what does that mean? Look at Rashi. Im sha'isha midaberes hi tava kilomar, im shi midaberes imoa baila, his kirlas atzma. And I will say, interestingly enough, the whole conversation has been about novel, sparing novel's life. Be it, how does she end? How does she end? She says, by the way, and remember me for good. Remember me for good. Some say the expression is, the goose, right? The goose, its head is down, but its eyes look far. What does Rabbi say? Here was the prophecy. There are two elements of prophecy in Abigail's words. Number one, she says to David, don't let me be a stumbling block for you. So she prophesies that although David would not stumble with Abigail, he would stumble in the future with Bathsheba. And number two, when she says to him, remember me in the future, and both say, remember again, Nabal dies. And what happens when Nabal dies? David marries Abigail. So I would just point out that ultimately they do become husband and wife. And Abigail foretold prophetically that they won't be together now but there will be a time in the future when they will be together. So both say, so this was the proof that Abigail was a prophetess. Chulda, who was Chulda? So both say, Chulda was a prophetess in the days of King Yoshio, as we're going to see. Dixiv, Dixiv, Vayelech Chilkiyah HaKohen Vachikam Vachbar. So the Gemara says, one second, if she's a prophetess during the times of Yoshio, that also means that who else is alive? Who else is alive now? Yirmiyahu Hanami. The prophet Jeremiah. So how can Chulda be prophesizing if Yermiah is the prophet? So the Gemara says, If Yermiah is the Abbas, it's like the Gemara says, isn't it an affront, right? If there's a Navi, if there is a Navi ultimately again, like Yermiah around, isn't it like a shtikal chutzbah for Chulda to be a Navi also? So the Gemara says, Amri Beirav, Mishmeidirav, Chulda Krovas Yermiah Haisa for lo hava makbidale. Interesting. Chulda was related to Yermiah. It was all in the mishpacha. So because it's all in the mishpacha, ultimately again, Yermiah was not offended by the presence of another prophesizing individual. Incredible. The Yoshio Gufei Hechi Shavak Yermiah Umishad Lagavagosa. But King Yoshio, when he has a question to ask, why is he going to Chulda? This is incredible. Why is he going to Chulda and not to Yermiah? Right, it was a set, it's two questions over here. How is Chulda prophesizing? How is Chulda prophesizing if Yermiyahu is alive? So the Gemara answers that, okay, at the end of the day, they're Mishpacha, Yermiyahu is not upset. He's not offended if Chulda prophesizes. Okay, but Yoshio, you're the king, you have a Shaila. How are you going to Chulda? How are you going to Chulda and what? Not Yermiyahu. The boss said, this is incredible. Women are more compassionate than men. And Yoshio wanted a compassionate prophet. See, I will say, you'll say to yourself, what does it matter? What is prophecy? What is prophecy? The word of God, right? So the word of God is the word of God. I always said, it's interesting. There's two elements to this. Number one, 
even if the word of God is the word of God, you want it said over in a more compassionate way. It's easier to hear when there's an element of Rachmanus. Sometimes also, again, the way the Navi presents something could absolutely have an impact on the Nevuah itself. So therefore, Yoshio wants prophecy from a more compassionate source. Incredible. No, there's another reason. Why did Yoshio go to Hulda and not to, and not to um, Yermio? Yermio wasn't around. He was out of the office. Right? Why was he out of the office? Well, it's incredible. Wow. Yermio went back to gather back the ten lost tribes. Right? He went back to go. I must remember again, Shalmaneser, the king of Ashur, already exiled the ten tribes. Yermio went to gather them back. Because the Pasuk says, literally, the seller will not come back to the item he sold. Could it be that Yovel already stopped occurring? Because remember, again, once the ten tribes were exiled, there was no longer Yovel, because Yovel requires Rov Yoshevel Alal. The majority of the Jewish people have to be situated in the land that is off Yovel to occur. Rather, it tells us that, watch, I said, this is incredible. Yermiel went and he brought back the ten lost tribes. Now, they were exiled the second time, but amazingly enough, he brought them back after their first exile. So the Gemara said, the, the Yoshio ben Amon met Malach Aleyen. And Yoshio ben Amon, he ruled over them. Dixiv, Vayomer Hashem, Vayomer, Mahat Sion Halaz Asher Aniroa, Vayomer Elav, Anshia Ira Keber Isha Lokim, Asher Bam Yehuda Baikras, and Rama Ela, Asher Asis Al Mizbech, Bebeis El. So Jose asked the Gemara, Vichim, Ma Yoshio, Ma Tivo She Yoshio, Al Mizbech, Bebeis El. What is Yoshio doing by an altar in Beit El? In other words, what is he doing in, what is Yoshio doing in Beit El? El Malamed, Sheyoshio Malachan. To teach us ultimately again that Yoshio ruled over the ten tribes. Rav Nachman, Rav Rav Nachman says we see it from here. Kam Yehuda, Shas Katsyolach, B'Shuvi, Shavosami. So I'll say fine. So that's Chulda. That's Chulda. So now we've established that Chulda is in Aviyah. Esther, Tichsev. How do we know that Esther was in Aviyah? Now the truth is, remember, what I want to point out is something very interesting. We saw, before, what did we see before? That Megillah's Esther was written Baruch HaKodesh. That we saw. That we saw. Right? What the Gemara is asking over here is something different. How do I know that Esther herself was a Neviah? So says the Gemara, The says it was on the third day. This is when Esther is going to Achashverosh, even though she was not summoned. So it was on the third day, Batilbash Esther Malchus. Esther wore Malchus. How do you wear Malchus? Big day Malchus, mi boyle. It should have said, clothing of Malchus. Ela shalavshsa ruach hakodesh. Isn't this incredible? Esther donned ruach hakodesh. She donned prophecy. Big day Malchus means over here, the clothing of prophecy. Ksiv hacha, Batilbash, uksiv hastam, uksiv hastam, beruach, lavshsa samasai. Amr Rav Nachman, so Rav Nachman says as follows. So I will say, let's just finish. So I will say, so therefore now we've proven seven prophetesses are all again. So the Gemara says, listen to this. Amr Rav Nachman, lo yo'a yihirusa l'nashi. Ultimately, again, Rav say now yihirusa means arrogance. So the Gemara is going to point out that two of these great women acted in an arrogant way and the arrogance wasn't befitting them. Now I will say, now what's your kasha on that Gemara? What's your kasha on that statement? 
Arrogance isn't befitting anyone. So I'll say, interestingly enough, the Gemara seems to take the approach. Men often have like an innate, natural arrogance. Women, from the perspective of Chazal, have an innate humility. When a man acts arrogant, it's like, oh, totally expected, right? Totally expected. When a woman acts arrogant, it's so profoundly, which again, it's, 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 it's an incredible shvach. It's an incredible shvach for women. But as well say, this is tied up in a much bigger thing about men, unfortunately, being innately egocentric and women being innately selfless, right? So along with that, along with that is a, let's say, you know, I'll tell you, it's, it's an incredible thing. Um, I, I, I think anyone who ever had daughters sees this. Right, how it's an incredible thing as a little girl from the time that she's young, right? There's a baby doll, right? The baby doll, and they're like mommying this doll. I mean, one time my son picked it up, like, put that down right now, right? But that's, that's a different discussion, right? Man up, right? But that's, but, but, but again, but, but it is, I blamed it on his sisters, right? But, but, but it is interesting to see, right? How, I see this now, Baruch Hashem, with my granddaughter, like, it's an amazing thing. What does she want? A baby carriage. It's a baby carriage. with rolling around the baby doll. It's an incredible thing Baruch Hu programmed us. So the Gemara says over here, so because, because women have this innate, selfless, giving nature, when there's a display of arrogance, it's like shocking. It's so out of character. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, There are two women who acted in an arrogant fashion. And to, literally it means their names became repulsive. Now what is that? You'll see in the Gemara. One of them was named B. Say, who is that a reference to? Devorah. Devorah. Now when did Devorah act in an arrogant fashion? So I say, this is incredible. Devorah, she summoned Barak. Now, the truth is, Devorah was the shofet, she was the judge, and she was the prophetess. Barak was the head of the army, but they were partners. They were partners. And what should have happened was, just out of covet to her partner in leading Klal Yisrael, she should have gone to him. She should have gone to him. Instead, she summoned him like an underling. And that was a display of arrogance, which Rabbi also tells you about how you have to treat people who you collaborate with and who you write, whether it's a spouse, someone you collaborate with, whether it's a business partner. Again, the worst thing you could do is make people feel like they're underneath you. And sometimes, again, I'm sure she didn't summon him in an effort to belittle him. I'm sure she summoned him just because, come on, like there's stuff to do, there's nations to conquer, right? There's, there's enemies to rebel. But how you treat people, right? Just even with those little things is so incredibly important. Karkushta, so the Gemara says, Karkushta, who's the Karkushta? It was like Karkushta means a weasel. Who was the weasel? This is incredible. Hulda, right? Which is a fast, I don't know, I don't know why she was named Hulda, right? But the prophet is Hulda, who we just learned about during, this, during the days of Yermiel, during the days of Yoshio. Ksibba, Amru Leish, below Amra Amulamelech. She referred to the king as a man. Say to the man, and didn't say, say to the king. So it's incredible. We just extolled these two women as being two of the seven prophetesses. But we also recognize the Gemara says that they both acted in an arrogant way. So we have to stop over here for today. I'm going to record Mishnah Yomi separately. For those who haven't joined Mishnah Yomi yet, it is an incredible and beautiful opportunity to learn. There's a WhatsApp group. I think I posted the WhatsApp information in the Dafyomi WhatsApp as well. The shear is going to record it in a few moments. It's posted to the Mishnah Yomi WhatsApp, not the Dafyomi WhatsApp, 
Please join it. Again, we just started brachas. So exciting. So incredible. I just want to point out, we have another two days of this incredible, overwhelming, magnificent Gemara. It's going to be a great week. Shkayach, everyone.